0: This is your host Shashank Shekhar and welcome to another episode of Shashank Redemption. An episode where every week I bring you inspiring stories, exciting guests and thought-provoking ideas. Welcome back to another episode of Shashank Redemption where we bring you some of the hottest founders and CEOs with proptechs and fintech companies and today I could not be more excited to bring you as guest who um whose company i really admire for a lot of things that they are doing and that's some of the conversation that we will get into a little later but help me welcome Nadeem Homsani who is the co-founder and ceo at Earnup welcome to the show Nadeem
1: yeah thanks so much for having me i appreciate it
0: of course before we get into earnup as i said a company i'm i'm very excited to uh, to understand not just for me personally to understand more about EarnUp, uh, but also for our audience, uh, because I see the company playing a huge role with financial wellness and uh, credit to minorities. But let's talk about your personal journey before we get into EarnUp. What, um, let's talk about uh, your journey leading up to the founding of EarnUp. Um, Talk to us about maybe a little bit about your education, what led you to uh, start a company like EarnUp.
1: Yeah. So, um, and thanks again for, for having me on the show. Um, maybe start a little bit earlier in my life just to give you a sense sure. of, um, the motivation. So, um, I, I grew up in Greece. I spent the first 10 years of my life there. My, my, uh, mother is Lebanese. My father's Egyptian. They moved to Greece, um, after a, a war broke out in Lebanon and, um, I uh, started coding when I was nine years old, actually in Greece on an old Atari. Uh, wow!
0: Was, yeah,
1: old Atari, like twenty four hundred XL, or five, I can't remember the exact model, um, but it had thirty two k of RAM, and then the second one we got had sixty four k of RAM. So I used to used to code in BASIC. So I always had an interest in computers um, from a very very young age. Mm. So um, my we, we moved to the United States in in nineteen eighty six, and my parents. Uh, bought their first home on a 30 year mortgage. So if you do a, the math, 1986 plus 30 is 2016. Mm-hmm. So if I go to my parents today, and I say, hey, mom and dad, congrats, you live the American dream, you fled wars, uh, you live here in the US now, congratulations. Uh, they'll say, yes, we've absolutely learned uh, and lived, excuse me, we've lived the American dream. Uh, my parent, my my parents get particularly my dad gets very emotional about it, given the journey that he's been on. Um, and and you know, we will say, hey, I've got you know three kids, six grandkids, very blessed. Uh, and I'll say, congrats, you know, you know, you also own your house. And you will say, well, we don't own the house. So you know, the, the home ownership has always been part of the American dream. And so the question for for me uh, when I bought my first house in 2011 was, well. Wait a second, like why is it that you're on a 30-year mortgage and you're not going to own your home in 2016? Mm-hmm. And what they will do is they will own their home in 2036, somewhere around there. So again, the question becomes, well, what's taken this 30-year mortgage and turn it into a 50-year mortgage, which is almost like perpetual rent when you think yeah. about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They they made a bunch of mistakes along the way. Um, and one of the mistakes that they made was not making additional. Principal contributions onto their loan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when when I bought the home that I mentioned earlier in 2011, I decided I went into my bill pay platform. I added uh, hundred dollars to the platform, um, or, or on the the you know the monthly payment, mm-hmm. and you know I just let it let it ride. Uh, I was working, and I'll get back. I'll get to my background in a second. And I, I was working pretty hard hours in in the private equity world. So I didn't open any of the statements. And I'll never forget, this was July 4th weekend. When I opened up the statement over July 4th weekend, when I had a moment to breathe, Mm -hmm. I opened up the statement. The bank had posted that extra money and it had been six months. So that extra $600 to future interest payments. So, yeah. So some people understand the mortgage ecosystem, some some don't. But in in short, the way loans work is you pay all the interest off in in the first parts of, of the term of the loan and you pay all the principal and the latter part of the term of the loan, and here I was trying to reduce the term of the loan by uh, reducing the amount of the loan by paying that principal early, and what they were doing is saying, nope, out of the goodness of your heart, you're going to pay your interest early, and we're not going to (laughs) reduce the term on the loan. I I thought it was, you know, we we thought it was malice, right? We just thought that they were out to get us. Now, I take a pause here because you asked about my background. I started coding when I was nine years old. I got a degree, and we we moved to New Jersey when I was ten. I got a degree in electrical and computer engineering, so no surprises there. I was always into computers, and sure. from there I went to law school. I went to Harvard. I I got my degree in electrical and computer engineering from Rutgers, and I went to Harvard Law School. Um, and I, I focused on tech there and and M and A, and I practiced law for a couple of years in New York. Um, doing tech and MA. and then after after that decided to go to mckinsey and company and, and focus on management consulting a lot in the financial services space i did that for 5 years and then i made a transition to private equity for another 5 years um, so again i say this very modestly in that if i, I am if there's somebody who's going to understand how debt works and how mortgage works it's it's somebody who's spent a lot of time in the financial services space and somebody who understands how these debt instruments work, and somebody who's accustomed to perhaps reading the fine print not all the time, but at least many years ago. And I missed this, right? I, I didn't I didn't feel I missed it for six months. And so the thought was, well, if somebody with my background in education and and training um has missed it, you know, then then what's likely to? happen to the the person who doesn't have that background i'd say just you know the the layperson trying to live the american dream and mm-hmm. so you know i miss it and and then i was like well wait a second here's here's an idea um here's an idea to go start a business and i had had an interest in starting a business as well so like i said going back to the story i thought it was malice that that they were trying to do this and and you know my co-founder and i started talking about starting a business together and we started researching the industry and we discovered it wasn't malice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we discovered what was going on is that the structure of the industry for, for you know, people still using green screens and mainframes and, and that kind of thing, uh, old 1970 technology. They still do Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, which is kind of nuts, right? Mm-hmm. Here we are 50 years later and that tech is still being used. Mm-hmm. We realized that there was an opportunity be, because it was unintentional. Uh, what I've found in this industry is people generally have Good hearts and they're good people, and they want to do best by people. But it's just you know sometimes the technology prevents them from doing so. And so that
0: was the that was the birth of Burnup in uh, 2013. Uh, thanks, thanks for the context. I'm, I'm still. Uh, I want to dig a little bit deeper into the motivation for for entrepreneurship per se. So I, I understand that you figured out the product and the service that you wanted to offer through this route, but here you are. Uh, engineering degree from Rutgers, um, law degree from Harvard. Worked for McKinsey for five years. Went into private equity. Worked there for for several years. What was what was the motivation slash passion behind starting a company? I know that that you figured out a problem that you wanted to solve, and that's all good. But millions of people figure out problems every year about solving a problem, and but but they don't get into entrepreneurship. They don't, they're don't. they not like, okay, I will solve this problem. Uh, what was going on from, from that perspective uh, with you and your co-founder that you said, okay, I, I realize it's a problem, but I want to fix it.
1: Yeah, um, it's a good question. I'm trying to take myself back <laughs> 10 years. For all the founders that are listening, they're probably yes. scratching, they've, they've been doing it for a while. They're probably like, well, what motivated me to do this because it's so hard. Um, say several things i um i've always liked building stuff okay um so so there was a component of this which is hey this is my own thing along with my co-founder i get along with it very well we can go build something and it'll, we'll we'll have some fun building it um and and we get to control what it looks like i think i think one of the challenges working in any industry as as a as an employee is you don't get to do all the things that you want to do and what you think is right. And so there was a freedom component of it. But at the end of the day, I really enjoyed building things. I had always enjoyed coding when mm-hmm. I was younger and actually was good at it, not very good at it anymore. respect to all the engineers <laughs> there. Um, and and I enjoyed it and um, so so building was number was number one. okay. Number two was to to have fun and to learn. I think being a founder, and being a ceo is a is a new skill set something despite i had been very successful in my prior career it, it it's something to you have something to learn it's something new uh, to do and have fun i think that's always something that we've said in the business which is you should always be having fun and you should always be learning because once it stops being fun and once it stops you stop learning then why are you even doing it anymore yeah. so you know having fun was an important part of it we wanted to have impact in social impact in particular, there's a lot of injustices in the world. Mm -hmm. um, And there's, you know, we're not going to be able to solve all of them, but there's, we felt like we were uniquely qualified to help with the injustices that were occurring in the housing world. And we are a double bottom line business. And and that, so that extends into the business. What I mean by double bottom line is we believe you can make money and do social good at the same time. And that's, and that leads into the final fourth one, which is making money. I, I'm not a I'm not ashamed to say that I'm here to make money as well. And I do believe you can have impact, do good things, and make money at the same time. That's that double bottom line. so that that was part of it as well,
0: yeah. you you were able to illustrate and elucidate the the reasons so uh, so clearly, which is sometimes hard uh, for for an entrepreneur. Sometimes it's like, I just wanted to do it is is something which uh, which I think still comes from uh, a lot of points that you mentioned I want to make a difference I uh, I'm good at it like like you could be skilled at something um, sometimes it's freedom is that I know I'm good at it but I'm not able to do all that being an employee that that I can if if I ran ran my own business um, and finally I mean what what you were very honest about the fact that yes all of this but i also wanted to make make money which i'm sure you were in in corporate america as well so let's let's dive in just, just a quick just sure. a quick yeah. thought on that one <laughs> of the great things about being a founder is
1: you know as the business grows you get to hire people that are smarter than you yeah. and and one of the things is there was some data when we were, i was thinking about starting a business that showed entrepreneurs depending on how you define success mm-hmm. right entrepreneurs sure. are more successful um, than you know, typical kind of corporate America employees or or people who work for other people. And one of the reasons why they suggested as a hypothesis for that is you get to focus on the things that you're good at and then you hire people who are good at the things that you're not good at. And, yeah. uh, and one of the, the great joys is hiring people that into the business, whether it's now it's we're, we're large enough or it's whether I like it or not, whether I like that particular role or not, I'm hiring people that are smarter and better than me and you get to you get to learn from those people as well. So for those that are aspiring founders, that's a great benefit too, is to be able to learn and and hire people that are smarter from you.
0: No, or absolutely. You. And I can I can speak speak for that myself as well. Uh, given my experience of of being an entrepreneur for over a decade. And I actually know some people from your in your from your um, C level team. So uh, I know they're they're very smart. I have known them from from companies they've worked before as well. So I totally agree to that. Uh, let's let's talk about ownups. You defined the problem. You mentioned that uh, you started with with your parents' journey of the fact that they thought they will they will own the home in 2016. They will probably not own it for several more years to come. We are already in 2023. You mentioned about your own story. That you thought paying extra hundred dollars a month is going to be helpful and and pay off the loan quicker that didn't pan out the way you thought it would. Um, what kind of problems then EarnUp is, is is solving? Is it solving both what your what your parents faced and you faced? Uh, anything else? Let's let's just give us our audience a kind of a brief overview of of what EarnUp really does.
1: Yeah. So there are two two main thrusts, or, or maybe three. Uh, of the product, one is we're uh, we have a number of customers who have come onto the platform who are individuals. okay, and we do that through a b 2 b to c lens. So we sell to a business who subsequently offers the product to their customers. And then we have another num- a, a number of b two b products as well. Um, so maybe you know, but some quick metrics on the business. people love us. We have a seventy five nPS. Uh, we have over 10 billion dollars of loans on the platform so um, it's great and then our our team is extremely diverse we're talking about social impact so less than 40% of the team self discloses as white um, and you know we're scheduled to save our customers over 500 million dollars so we over the life of their loan so I, th- I think we're doing you know we're doing great things out there and pretty really happy where the business is uh, what is what is one of the you know the longest lasting product in the business is what we call our pay when you get paid or our payday to payday um, product. Okay. and we the the official name of that is experience now what what does that do? There's a belief out there in the world that the reason why people miss their payments on their loans and and their bills is because they can't afford to make those payments and in some, You know, some people in the past have called them deadbeats, which which I don't appreciate. And it's a reasonable belief that for for people to come to. um, It's reasonable because it's what we read on the Internet. It's what we watch on TV, that when you see these things is that people can't make those payments because they don't make enough money or they they aren't organized or. And it's just simply not true. Seventy percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And. 70%, Seventy percent, or I should say, sixty to seventy percent. That number's moved around. And seventy percent of missed payments are actually avoidable, which is nuts. Um, wow. You just need to you just need to show up as as the as the entity collecting payment. You just need to show up in a way that's convenient for the person who's paying the bill or paying the loan payment. And if you do that, then the customer is going to make those payments more reliably and on time. And that's what we've been able to prove, which is if you use our product, you're gonna miss fewer bills. And actually, if you're a business that's using our product, a lender or a servicer, you're gonna reduce your delinquencies by 20 to 40%. And we do that by meeting the customer where they are. And what's the additional detail on that? The majority of Americans don't get paid monthly. Something like 10% of Americans get paid monthly. The majority of Americans get paid every week or every other week. Yet, for some reason, there's been this vestige of you know taking a check, writing it, and putting it in the mail once a month. The lenders and servicers out there still collect payments once per month. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be that way. And so what we do is we say, pay when you get paid. You get paid every Friday. We're going to take a proportional amount out of your uh, bank every Friday so that we get the loan Payment to the right place at the right time. So I'll give you an example. let's say you have a thousand dollar payment that's due on the first of the month. What we're going to do is take two hundred and fifty dollars out of your uh, account every uh, every week mm-hmm. and we'll get that thousand dollars to the lender when it's it's time for it to, to be paid Now, sure. what happens in that, so we that's number one, which is, wow, like you're paying your payments on time. You're going to have uh, reduced delinquencies. We've shown, we did a study with transUnion. Uh, we've shown that you can improve your credit score by using our product, and that mm-hmm. makes sense because now you're making the the payments sure. more reliably and um the other thing that happens is we then use uh, a number of behavioral psychology hacks to get people to make extra contributions onto their loan and accelerate the loan so 97 percent of our customers are accelerating loans onto their On our platform. So if you're in a mortgage, which is a good part of our customer base, there's people who have mortgages. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen is, if in today's environment, if you're using our product and you just got a loan, we're going to save you over hundred thousand dollars on your loan, and we're going to reduce your effective interest rate from something like seven percent to five and a half percent. That's all by using our product and using some of these behavior that that we use these behavioral psychology hacks to get people to make extra principal. Contributions on the loan, and there's a whole series of those that if we had more time I could walk you through. Um, but that's you know that's the core product that we've always had in the business. Now using that technology, and as a result, you can put any type of loan on the platform. You can put a student loan, you can put an auto loan, you can put a home loan, and then using that technology, what we've gone is now gone B2B as well, and said, hey, like we, we can we understand the customer a lot better. We're creating this customer loyalty. We're creating this financial wellness. How can we bring that to a lender or a new a new lender or new servicer so that they're able to improve their customer loyalty? Uh, the average net promoter score in the mortgage ecosystem for servicing loans is like 15. I mean, it's incredible. It's really really bad. And so, using our product, you can really improve that net promoter score um, and also save money on your delinquencies and also um, you know understand the customer better. So that if they're getting to refi or they're thinking about refiing their loan. Uh, that the servicer can get there earlier before they leave the platform. So that was a lot, but but that's our X.ai product. And it should give you a feeling of the, you know, two of the main, we have some others, but two of the main products that we have.
0: It does. And I want to come back to the B2B and the partnerships in a while. Uh, but let's let's talk about the 70% payment data that you mentioned. Is that 70% of the payment that gets missed is is avoidable uh, in in uh, in most cases, as you mentioned. Uh, let's talk about the profile of those people who miss it, um, and and payments could have been avoided. Um, based on based on your study and research, do those people fall more into lower income category? Are people who are not probably set up on auto debit? Uh, is there a majority of minorities in that segment? Let, let talk to me a little bit about demographic of those, and which are the kind of. Um, Kind of users, uh, consumers in this case, that you're really helping uh, avoid those payments in this case.
1: Yeah, the majority of our customers are low, moderate income customers. Um, they uh, they are people who who just need help and making their payments and and keeping things simple for them. Like I said, meeting the customer where the customer is. Sure. In terms of uh, demographics, um, I'm just trying to remember. You know. Today, the let me get this this metric right today, there are fewer black Americans that own homes than there were when the Civil Rights Act was passed in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It's just a staggering. It's just a staggering thought. Right. Um, and what is that? 60 years, you know, 60 years yeah. ago or coming on 60 years. So there are historically disadvantaged and discriminated against communities that that. Um, that we try to help. So the average home ownership among African-Americans in the US is about 8%. Uh, 17% of our customers are African-American. So I think we do everything we can to help low moderate income folks and create a program for them Uh, that's that's gonna get them into home ownership earlier. I mentioned 97% of our customers are accelerating loans. That means many of them will own their home seven years early. So imagine owning your home after 23 years instead of 30 years and being able to retire early. We get notes from our customers all the time. It's some of the best testimonials to read is when somebody says, "You know, this is amazing. I now own my home uh, seven years earlier than I thought." Right? That's that's just an incredible. That's just an incredible outcome.
0: It is because when it comes to minority home ownership, uh, Nadeem and I'm uh, we are heavily invested into that ourselves, we, we fund more than 60% of our loans to, to people uh, who will were categorized as minority. And, and one challenge that I have um, experienced talking to industry leaders and, and regulators, everybody, is that one challenge, of course, is to get them into the home, but the other challenge is keeping them in the home. And, and that's, I think, Earnup is doing, given the data and the stats that you just shared with me, you're not just helping them stay in the home, but actually help them get to that equity, get to that retirement, as you mentioned, way faster, building that wealth for this generation and, and for several generations to come way faster than they ever thought would be possible.
1: Yeah, I, I don't have the data at, you know, at my fingertips, but I've seen some data that shows 80% of Americans use their home as their primary retirement asset.
0: Yeah, I think that you're probably close on that.
1: Yeah. So, so getting people into homes earlier, um, is just a hugely, you know, it's just a hugely important component of, of Americans having good financial health and I, you know, minority home ownership is, just needs a lot of work. I I do think one of the criticisms I have of the industry, and again, don't have data in front of me, it's, it's anecdotes and impressions, is the industry spends a lot of time thinking about how do you get new minority homeowners into yeah. home ownership but they don't spend enough time thinking about how we can keep them uh, yes. in, in those homes which is a is a challenge for all the reasons that we've talked about so I uh, totally hear you on that
0: yeah absolutely agree and that brings me to the other point that that you were mentioning about um, going b2b so you had you had mostly a b2c model before going directly to consumer focusing more on b2b now which makes sense uh, it's a win-win for both earnup and the industry. Uh, you mentioned a NPS of fifteen, uh, the retention rate of of uh, single digital retention rate of their customers, uh, the relationship uh, is just not being built uh, once the loan funds. Uh, there was time before where they used to get uh, their monthly mortgage statement in mail, and they used to mail the check, so there was at least some kind of physical activity that they were doing in terms of having. Uh, that brand in front of them. Once you set up an auto debit, probably you don't even have that kind of relationship. Even even in that once a month kind of an act that that you were doing actively. So with all of that gone, it just makes sense for mortgage servicers to look into a product like EarnUp, which could potentially uh, deepen the brand relationship, provide something of value, uh, increase the retention rate, bring them back to when they're ready. Uh, ready for the, for uh, for their mortgage. Uh, and so that seems like an obvious uh, partnership for EarnUp to look into. Uh, but EarnUp could very well also be part of the overall financial wellness discussion that a lot of organizations are having about their employees. How does that fit into uh, your marketing model down the road? Or if that's something that, that you're already working on, and uh just want to understand some experiences that Earnup might have had or wants to have in, in the financial wellness space.
1: Yeah, so on the note, just kind of going back to the mortgage stuff, the, the other piece that's worth noting is, and this goes back to the founding story of the business, which is structurally, for those people who I'm trying to simplify this as best as they can, structurally through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which you could argue are government institutions or government sponsored yeah, entities. Of course. The government owns most of the homes in the United States, yes. and the way that these things work is to, the way to spread the risk around. Is that many, many of, if not all, of those loans are collateralized and put them out in the market. All of that is to say that as a homeowner, if you are a homeowner, you've probably had a situation where "quote unquote" your loan has been sold to a servicer. So we're talking about how do you keep people in homes? Yeah. When loans move hands like they do, or mm-hmm. change hands like they do, it's really easy to get confused to have those payments move from you know one servicer to another, and then you don't know where to send the payment. And before you know it, your credit's been dinged. and you have, <laughs> yeah. you have no idea why. And so that is something that we solve because we're a layer that operates on top of the servicing ecosystem. So that if you are a lender or you're a servicer and you're trying to create improved customer loyalty, what we do is have a, a completely private labeled experience. And we figure out, and this is part of the technology, we figure out where the loan payments have to go. And as a result of that, we're able to get them to the right place at the right time. So it just kind of, as we're thinking about the, the borrowers out there and how do we help them at our B2B product that you were mentioning is something that, that does that. And there's the retention components, which you, you mentioned already. So that solution in, in the mortgage space in particular, you, you mentioned financial wellness, which is, uh, I posted on LinkedIn about a month ago or so very briefly that we've seen more interest in financial wellness over these last few months than we have uh, since pre-pandemic, I want to say around 2018. Okay. And, and certainly there was a week or two long or three-week period where there was a lot of chaos immediately after COVID set in that you, lots of people had concerns, but then the FED stepped in savings rates started going up. So it's it's nice to see that given our mission in the business to build a financial system that works for everybody, to see that coming back to the forefront of people's minds. So. Um, yeah, it's been five years and and so I, I think I've talked a little bit about how we help customers, but imagine that you're able to put all of your loans in one platform and have them line up to your paycheck so that you can get everything paid on time that's that's the you know that's the beauty of of that platform and reducing your delinquencies. and we have a lot of customers who report fewer late fees, both mm-hmm. on the bank side so fewer insufficient fund fees when you you bounce a payment, you're getting charged by the bank, and then, you know, in the mortgage ecosystem, you have five percent of your payment. So if you have a two thousand dollar loan, then you're paying a hundred dollar late fee if you miss that payment. That's that's big money for for everybody. So yeah. that that's the kind of thing that we help pre- prevent people from getting into.
0: Sure, and um, as we come towards the end of it, so EarnUp has had, from everything that I have seen in the news. Really exciting last three four months. You, uh, you got the housing wire tech hundred. Uh, in Q one, you crossed fifty million transactions. Uh, I think that's uh, that's I probably a read your press release uh, some time back. Of course, you you partnered up with Namba, which for people who don't know who Namba is, is a National Association of uh, of Minority Mortgage Bankers Association. So they're really focused on mortgages to minorities and and earned up partnered up with them i think about a month back so you've had a really exciting three four months in terms of associations awards uh, just a, hitting a huge milestone on the number of number of transactions in q1 what can we expect next uh, in the next several quarters what is the product team working on what is the marketing team working on what are you working on adeep that 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 you're super excited about
1: so we're really focused on financial wellness uh, of late. Of course, we have a core mortgage business and continue to enhance those products. So if you're in the mortgage space and you want to talk more about that, let's talk about it. Um, the the large thrust in, in terms of new product development for us has really been around financial wellness. So an example there is a employer um, or a, a credit union, whether they are credit employer backed or, or we find credit unions to be very focused on financial wellness as well. Um, Or if you're like a benefits broker. So we've had some benefits brokers come to us and say, I can enhance my offerings to the employers um, in terms of insurance and that sort of thing. I can enhance my offerings by offering a, a financial wellness product. Anybody that's focused on financial wellness is somebody that we can help out. And that's what you know we're, we're adjusting and developing the product further so that it is easier to implement which is now really simple it's just like a link on your website and we can take care of the rest um wow. improving improving the ability to implement those and get those live very quickly to you know doing all the guts of managing and working through the loan ecosystem which is a um which is a a, a,
0: a very scary
1: <laughs> very scary place <laughs>
0: Thanks, Nadeem. Thanks, uh, thanks for uh, letting us know what the future plans look like and the focus on financial wellness as you uh, continue to work on everything else that EarnUp has done. So that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, was Nadeem Homsani, who is the co-founder and CEO at EarnUp. You can find more about EarnUp um, at earnup.com. And uh, of course, you can connect with Nadeem directly on LinkedIn. Uh, that was another episode of Shashank Redemption. Thank you for tuning in. And Adim, thank you so much for uh, spending your time with us here and teaching valuable lessons on a lot of things uh, with entrepreneurship, how to design a product. Uh, of course, what you didn't teach is how to start coding at nine years old, but that's probably <laughs> for another day.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much, Shashank, for having me on the, on the
0: program. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Shashank Redemption with your host, Shashank Shikhar. Be sure to follow, subscribe, and review us. And check out shashankredemption.com to connect with me.